you're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcast, episode 29. Jessica Misho, from Susie Menke's assistant to global fashion guru. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcast. I'm your host, Jodie Meter Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. Jessica is editor-at-large of the biannual Fashion Bible Order magazine, SVP Industry Relations for Launch Metrics, writer at L'Officiel Paris, Vogue Japan, and has ignited digital fashion journalism with her 60-second fashion reviews on Instagram and her Fashion Your Seatbelt podcast. In our short and sweet interview, Jessica and I discuss what it's like to work with Susie Menkes for 16 years, the pace of fashion from 60-second fashion show reviews to collectible fashion publications, how data can support sustainability, if we will still travel around the world to see fashion shows in the future, and how Jessica's love of horse riding keeps her grounded. Okay, amazing. We've um, finally got together, which is great. I've kind of been aware of your career and your periphery for a bit of time. Um, when I started investigating into launch metrics as a company, I just want to know a bit more about Jessica. Yeah. I want to know about your kind of um, upbringing. You know, what brought you to fashion and kind of your entry into, yeah, into fashion really. Okay. Um, well, the long and short of it is, well, it'll end up probably being long, this answer. Um, I grew up in California, born and raised California girl in San Francisco. You know, pretty typical upbringing with my brother and sister. And then when I was 18, I decided to take a, I guess you call a gap year between high school and college. And I, um, with the Rotary Club, moved to Milan and lived in Milan for a year, learned um, Italian. And every day my mother would pray that I would never meet an Italian man and fall in love and never come back to the United States. And that did not happen. She was so thrilled. And I came back and I went to San Francisco State and ended up meeting what would, who would be my future husband, who was French. And so for three years we corresponded as I got my degree in political science, because I actually wanted to go into political okay. science. And then I came to France uh, to get married at 23. I sent out one CV to the International Herald Tribune because I was getting married and I was graduating from college. And I was like, I will deal with all of that later. And I sent out one and they called me up. I interviewed and they hired me on the spot. And so, yeah, so that was, you know, completely so much luck. You know, the, and, you know, ignorance is bliss. I had no idea how fortunate I was. And that's where I um, first met Susie Menkes and uh, applied to be her assistant. I had no interest in fashion, didn't know anything about fashion, didn't know who Susie Menkes was um, at the time. And Perhaps it, wouldn't have had the tenacity to yeah, kind of actually apply. Apply yeah. at that point, I know, exactly, right? And... Um, and so stayed with Susie for 16 years, moving from up from being her assistant to um, a fashion editor and writer and being trained by her basically um, in the skills of being a fashion critic. And then eventually before I left, I was uh, for a few years, I was the online style editor, you know, basically growing with the company as the company embraced the, um, well, the web online. And then as I was leaving in the last couple of years, the social media as that was starting to explode. So it was extraordinary. Why do you think that, um, so you didn't have a fashion background no. at that time. Why do you think that she chose you with no fashion background when I'm sure there was lots of other people applying for that role with a fashion background? I think it was more this 
idea that I was gonna I was gonna be there to focus on her and be her assistant because that was the original role and I wasn't interested in fashion and so there it wasn't like a stepping stone to something else it was really in in service to helping her and and I really enjoyed that and, and in exchange for that I got the best fashion education a woman could you know dream for and they were paying me as I was getting it so um, I think it was more this idea that there wasn't any ulterior motive of making in fashion one day it was really much more about doing the job of being an assistant mm. and how was it how was that she was amazing <laughs> I learned so much from her I learned about you know speaking your truth integrity that your word you know once you you know uh, lose your integrity that's it you your word is your bond and you know standing up for yourself and um, I also really loved how she would um, celebrate young designers um, in her pages because her pages were so powerful um, when she would talk about a designer if, if a fashion critique was a negative it could really affect the bottom line the sales of the the clothing um, for that season and if she highlighted a young designer that could launch someone's career and so she had a lot of power to wield but she always you know was very you know, truthful, really, there was no ulterior motive. She didn't bend to advertisers. She, um, oh, yeah, or, or <laughs> gifts. Yeah, no gifts whatsoever. I mean, when you see that compared to some of the other editors out there, she, you know, she would only accept flowers and chocolates, everything else. Um, she would return if it was a bigger item or if it was smaller. Every Christmas, she would have me um, divvy it all up between all of the support staff and interns. So they would always get these amazing little, you know, perfumes and lipsticks and whatever. So, yeah, incredibly generous throughout the her entire career, for sure. And so that was 16 years. Yeah. So at what point did you think I need to leave now? Um, well, I think for me, it was um, having Now Fashion kind of come knocking and give me and make me an offer I couldn't refuse. So Now Fashion at the time was um, going head to head with Style.com. It, it was the... Um, it was the uh, online, it was the first online website that was putting up fashion images in real time as the show was happening. Style.com wasn't able to do that. Vogue couldn't do that. So it was really cutting edge technology, this um, uh, algorithm that the company had come up with. And they wanted to have editorial content, um, fashion reviews at the same speed as the fashion show. So I would be going to six to eight shows a day and was getting reviews up within three hours after wow. show. But that was the training of Susie. Susie was always on the deadline. I mean, she was internet savvy before there was an internet. She was, we were turning things around in 24 hours. So to do that at Now Fashion was, you know, continuing that kind of same path. And, and so it was great to be at Now Fashion for three years and then um, moved on from there because I wanted to have something that was more um, substantial in the sense that something that lasted longer. And that's why I decided to go to Antidote, which is a biannual and be the editor in chief of Antidote um, magazine. Mm. So that's a conscious decision about timing and yeah. kind of like the speed of things. Mm -hmm. So why do you think it was and still is, to be honest, quite mega important actually to get everything online super fast send all those press images mm -hmm. you know what's this immediacy that we're doing that's just the nature of the beast mm -hmm. of fashion I mean fashion is all about I mean the the DNA of fashion is always what's the next the future you know what looking forward and change you know that so the that kind of the ramping up of the fashion industry just increased exponentially and people just won't wait for anything so you're seeing this split within fashion you're seeing the immediacy of Instagram posts or Twitter or what have have you and then you're having the other side of that which is these the kind of slow fashion of you know biannual books you know uh, talking about a season kind of like a souvenir and so I really like that 
working in the, on those two sides, um, working in the immediacy and something really um, fresh and new and of the moment, and then having also something that's more reflective, something that you can hold on to and, and longer and you can absorb and, and process. I like both of those aspects. Could you give us an example of each that you've seen in the past six months? Because I know you've been literally around the world in the past six months <laughs> um, that you could pick out of a great example of the kind of quick and slow? Well, the quick and slow, I mean, I can give you an example of my life. So the quick is um, moving my fashion criticism online. So doing 60 second fashion reviews on Instagram. So they're quick and dirty, as quick as I can get them up after a show. And then the opposite of that would be, well, two examples. One is a podcast like this one where it lasts forever. It's longer. You can enjoy it um, in a different way. And then also working today as the uh, editor at large for Oda magazine which is a biannual so it's two seasons a year and it, and it kind of covers the industry and that's where you're having you know longer in-depth interviews and with amazing art and images and so you have that quick and then you have that slow and I think that that fills two different needs for me and I think it fills um, two different needs for the industry as well. Can you tell us a bit more about Oda magazine? Uh, Oda magazine is was started by David Martins and he is um, a genius and it he you know was started with a blog and you know slowly through his contacts and his talent as an editor-in-chief and a founder was able to pull in some um, amazing people around him to create these magical um, you know fashion Bibles where the the photos are just stunning and then he also is able to bring in voices that maybe aren't as representative in the fashion industry so you'll get those bigger interviews but you also get some unexpected ones and you know it's all of those different creatives that really make fashion such an amazing melting pot so yeah Oda for me is is a great place to put my creative ideas mm. how long have you been there um well I think I've been there I want to say three maybe four years yeah What's appealed to you from the tech? So you kind of said about the online with Susie and yeah. it's obviously been a bit of a thread throughout your career. Absolutely. So what's the tech appeal? Well, I actually met the founder of Fashion GPS, which was one of the first companies. Uh, there was a merger between Fashion GPS and a, a French company called Augur. And Augur was more the data and Fashion GPS was more fashion. And they became Launchmetrics. And I met him because we were supplying the photos, uh, now fashion, to Fashion GPS. And he, and he said, listen, I think it would be great to bring you on board. We need somebody like you who can speak fashion to the tech team and speak mm -hmm. tech to the fashion people. Yeah. And so uh, about a year after the merger, he, you know, he came knocking on my door and I became the um, senior vice president of industry relations. And basically that's it is what my job is, is to kind of translate, um, be that bridge between those two fields. And then also to run the GPS radar community, which is a private community of the leaders in the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. So uh, RSVP to fashion shows, post articles and news about what they're doing, you know, see all of the latest images. Um, that are going on from the shows so kind of running that as well and then this last year um, making connections with different fashion weeks around the world and bringing their um, images onto the platform so that they can get the celebrated and be seen by the right people in the fashion industry and that's really been an eye-opening experience to me seeing this fashion in different locations not mm. the four capitals of fashion can you talk a bit more about that because i know we're saying georgia and tbilisi and yeah 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 so i you know asia from shanghai and tokyo to tel aviv and tbilisi to prague and and of course paris and milan all the rest it's it's been wonderful to see how each fashion week has its strengths and its weaknesses and where it can improve and um, and there's there's some there's always and that's I think the the 
the running thread through my career has been this love of celebrating the talent of other people, putting a spotlight on people I think that are amazing and, and making sure that more people know about them. So being able to uh, see a great menswear designer in Prague and talk about that person or or see an amazing um, brand, sports brand in Tokyo and, and talk about that um, to people in Europe who would never know about it. That for me, yeah, I just like, and then I like just putting people together, like making those connections and highlighting the, the best that's out there in the world. Give us three names of who you'd look out for, who are your like, you know, most exciting things there, you've seen this past maybe oh my six months. Or, I know, goodness, tough one, tough one. Goodness. Even um, one. Okay, well, one. I really like uh, Jenny Fax out of uh, Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, Yen Chirney, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's a menswear designer out of Prague. Um, and let me, and who else can I think of who that I really, really liked? Um, shooting, uh, shooting Q, I think is it, um, from, uh, China. She showed in Milan and then she also showed in Shanghai and, um, they were all really pretty extraordinary for different reasons. Yeah. Mm. Like what them. was a standout thing? What was a similar, similar thing between them or completely Co- different? Completely different. Yeah. I mean, what, what I really like is that it, you know, I see so much fashion so that it, if you have to have a unique voice and it's great already, if you see something you haven't seen a million times before and that was definitely one thing um, that they have a unique point of view that, that they seem to be very uh, and the, and they're not willing to compromise it that this is who they are and that's what they're going to do and it's something I haven't seen you know it's not a derivative of you know a Balenciaga or a derivative of Chanel or whatever and you know they are their own individual person you know if, if it surprises me if it makes if it if, me, if it makes me sit up in my chair when I'm sitting in the front row then yeah that's yeah. that's a good thing oh and number uh, num- act one also yes. is another one that I really like another young brand Sure. And makes you clap. We were saying yesterday that no one claps anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you have, if you actually put your phone down from filming the finale and clap your hands, that's the ultimate mark of approval, I guess, these days. Yeah. Um, thinking about shows and kind of sustainability, yeah. as we're, we're talking a lot about more recently. Um, what's the future? I mean, it's really important to go to these countries to Mm -hmm. look at, you know, be submerged not Mm -hmm. only in the clothes, but the culture Mm -hmm. and kind of get people to visit Mm -hmm. even the smaller countries. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you see that in the future? Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, clearly, I would say sustainability, one of the things that because I, you know, work in a a data uh, company, I think that we're seeing that if you really use data in a smart way, that can be helpful in sustainability if you're making right choices in what you're producing because you have the data to, to that you know that it's better to have a white shirt with, you know, with puff sleeves as opposed and that will sell and, and how much that might sell and, and to use data so that you're not overproducing, that you're more targeting and then you're targeting that you're only doing certain colors for certain regions because that will work better there. I think that that data could really help sustainability in one way and I think that also what I'm seeing from the younger generation is that sustainability sustainability has just been baked into how they've learned how to design that it's it's not an afterthought it's actually something that they do from the jump and i think that that is really going to help in the future and i and i think that when you have you know um people to look up to or to people to re- reach out to like like a um stella mccartney who you know, blaze the path before anyone and that she, you know, or even like Allbirds where you can look and, and they're like sharing their knowledge, their, you know, what they've discovered, what they've, what they've created in some cases, you know, special foams or special fabrics. And there, and there isn't any 
kind of this is just for me there there is this openness and sharing and let's make this world a better place uh, that a lot of this innovation i think is really exciting um that there is that uh overarching desire to um, make everything more sustainable make everything more eco-friendly and that when we find something that works better and is less harmful to the 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 world then we want to share that with others and i think that that's a really great message i just wish it had happened sooner than it is yeah do you think we'll still be flying around visiting shows (laughs) that's a tough one you know I really there is and I've said this a number of times there is really nothing like being in the room Mm. seeing feeling the energy of the room at a show um, seeing the reaction of the audience um, feeling the reaction of the audience seeing how the clothing moves there's nothing like that Again, maybe it's not the most environmentally friendly thing, but for example, um, I um, Shanghai Fashion Week and Tokyo Fashion Week teamed up, so they flew me out to Shanghai. I stayed there, did Shanghai, and then I did Tokyo, so there wasn't a back and forth as much. So if there's a way so where we talk can to talk to each other yeah. and connected, <laughs> so that there wasn't some, I wasn't flying halfway across the world, you know, with a two-day interval. So that idea of uh, maybe making those smarter decisions—is um, it combining and doing, you know, really? packed everything in one place at one time Um, I don't know if that works because there is something about being in the place but if you can back-to-back things that might be more helpful yeah Yeah, that seems to make sense communicate a bit better with each other exactly um just thinking about um so we're here sat in Barcelona and you've Mm. you know we've talked about you've traveled a lot this is your last trip hopefully for the year and you go back to Paris which Mm -hmm. is where you live um and you've lived there for 20 is over 20, 20 years over yeah 20 years so yeah. um I know you're a keen horse rider. I, I am. <laughs> so I can, am. can we just talk a bit about why you live out of Paris yeah. and the horses and all that kind of stuff? Why is that important to you? Um, well, California girl, I had a backyard and I couldn't imagine. I was like a tiger in a cage when I first moved to Paris and was living in a little apartment. So as soon as I could, I moved out of the city. Um, and, you know, I loved horseback riding when I was a kid. And when I had children, I really wanted them to have um, horses and animals and all of that. I think it really is a great way to... Um, uh, you know, learn responsibility and building a, that relationship with an animal. I think it's really important to that one of those first connections that you have. And when I ride and when I know when they ride, what it is, is it's a great way. You cannot think about something else mm-hmm. when you're riding. You have to be completely present. So it's a great way for me to clear my mind and be in the moment in a way that's very hard for me when I have literally my phone attached to my hand at all times when I'm not on a horse because I have to hold the reins. And, um, you know, so there's me in the morning. I'll, I'll get up in the morning and I'll go out from my front door and I have a field across from my house and I'll, you know, feed the horses their grain and their hay and then I'll come in and put my nice shoes on and then I'll go to the Chanel Couture show. So it's a very... It, it actually grounds you quite a lot mm. to have that part of that part of my life yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Contrast. It's wonderful. Yeah. I'm very, very I lucky. Think, I think there is a film in this. <laughs> <laughs> um, your personal style, actually, everyone knows you for your hair particularly mm. as well. And kind of like, you, you know, you're always very um, just well put together. And like ah. even today, your fantastic jewelry and your ah. vintage ring and oh, like everything's you. just, you know, so beautiful. Can you just describe how you came in? to that and Mm -hmm. like understood your own style from you know watching so many other things around you that are fashion based Mm -hmm. how do you get your own essence your own style Uh, well I mean I've always been somebody who's kind of been an understated dresser Um, the hair came out of necessity because um, I had three uh, three kids back to back they were small and I needed I was working in fashion and I needed something that was 
you know, quick to do. And I, you know, I hated putting my hair up in a bun. My husband hated my having my hair up. And so I started with the clips in the front just to get it off my face. And then I had those kind of like, you know, um, jaws of life clips in the back. And then I discovered these bigger hair combs and I started to put it all up. Granted, I got a little heat because Susie definitely has a distinctive hairstyle, but then all of the greats do. Anna Wintour, you know, Sotsani, Susie. Um, so yeah, so I, I figured, uh, yeah. And then it also was great because at this point, people know me so well, I can walk in without an invitation to the shows because they see the hair. So, and nobody can use my ticket or say that they're me because, you know, people know the hair. Yeah. The people know the hair more than they know me, maybe. <laughs> I think actually what's important with what we talked about off air was actually building relationships with the people at every level. Oh, so yeah, like absolutely. you walk in the show, but you know the security guard. I do. Kind yeah. of, and that's been really prevalent through your career yeah, um, yeah. that you maintain those relationships. Well, I mean, I really believe that, and this is what I learned with Susie as well, that you never want to be a diva. I mean, you want to, everybody's a human. You never know what's going on in their life. And um, I've had, t- you know, people who what we would call a cravate rouge, so like the people who check you in, um, in the original, you know, early in their career are now like heads of PR agencies and they remember you know, they'll say, they have, some have said to me, I remember you one of the only ones that was nice to me when I was a quote unquote nobody. And I just think that's, well, sad. And I'm happy I did that. But I just think that, yeah, be kind. I mean, it doesn't cost you anything to be kind to anybody. And and I absolutely would say to anybody who wants to work in any in any industry is that networking is key, key, key for anything. And today it's so easy to network in a way that wasn't the case when I was coming up. You really got to maintain those relationships for sure. What's your... Um what, looking ahead to 2020, yeah. what are you thinking about? What's next year going to be like for you? And what are the big things that you're looking out for? Um, next year, I think, is going to be a big transition year for me. A um, lot of, I think that what we're going to see is a, a lot more of this, um, I think, sustainability, if we're talking about the industry, is going to be key. I think that we're going to see uh, data, once again, taking a, an important role as more and more people feel comfortable about it and understand it, or, or at least bring people into their companies that understand it. I think that also, so uh, authenticity is continues to be important, um, being true to yourself, um, and those organic connections are going to be crucial. I think that those are the important things. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what my life entails next year. Exciting. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. My pleasure. Please take the time to subscribe and rate and review our show. Make sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and online at blackneondigital.com.